Hi, I'm Dave, and you're listening to Making Problems to Solve, a podcast about curiosity, creativity, and problem solving. Today, I'm talking to uh, Michelle Chandra, a uh, gen- generative artist uh, known as Dirt Alley Design on Instagram. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Thanks a lot. So I usually like to get started and kind of get a little bit of background on people and like uh, where they started uh, being creative. Do you remember, um, do you have any uh, creative people in your family who kind of were, uh, you know, mentors or inspiration to you? Um, no, not really. <laughs> um, I remember just starting being creative from when I was young, but it was kind of like uh, um, me and my own like little fantasy world. I was very imaginative. I had like imaginary friends and um, I read a lot of books. I was always at the library. And so that's where I got, I think it kind of started as a creative person was in the library. And I, the librarian introduced me to origami. So that was like the first creative practice I think I had. Um, And from there, I like, as a teenager, dabbled in like graphic design and beaded jewelry. But I think the overall theme is that I was always teaching myself how to make something um, from books. And because this was like before the internet sure. <laughs> and before like YouTube, which has made it a lot easier. <laughs> so right. I was always just trying to find like the latest book about, you know, the latest you know, beaded jewelry. I had like a book on um, Russian beaded jewelry and it wasn't in English. And I just followed the patterns <laughs> oh, wow. to make the, you know, the jewelry. Um, so I think from like a young age, I always sort of had a creative bend, you know, like I was imaginative, um, kind of in my own little world. And I think that's why I read a lot and um, was more like self-directed in my interests. And then my parents, though, are, are immigrants to the to the U.S. And they had a more of an immigrant idea of what I should do in life of like, you should go be a doctor or a lawyer, or engineer, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. they were not like so happy with me about being an artist or being creative. Um, so that's always been kind of a negotiation with them that, you know, I'm not going to be what they think I should be as the daughter of immigrants. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So then I ended up going to um, UC Santa Barbara and UC Santa Barbara has this small college called the College of Creative Arts that is kind of like an anomaly in the UC system. It is a really small um, liberal arts college within the UC system. And the UC system is mainly a research institution. So it's not common. Only UC Santa Barbara has this little college. And that was like awesome because I just spent three years with artists and writers and people who just wanted to be creative. And that was kind of like more the beginning of being less um, on my own making things and being around like a community of people who wanted to be creative and make things. And so that was like my introduction to zines and (laughs) writing bad poetry and going to small little punk band concerts. And (laughs) that was a lot of fun. So that was really great for me to go from in my own little world making stuff to now I'm like with a community of people who want to be creative you know, and artists. And then of course, moving from that to the real world was kind of a shock because like suddenly I'm not in a creative, like, you know, 
environment anymore and it's a lot harder to find it in the real world versus like in college it was like built into my program and um I, i've lived in isla vista which is right next to uc santa barbara and you could just walk into anyone's house at any time even if you didn't know them that was kind of the town vibe right. <laughs> which yeah. was so much fun <laughs> and then yeah. you leave and go in the real world and you can't do that you've got to like call people and you can't just show up unannounced and so that was a bit of a shock to go from like this really wonderful creative environment to the real world but then it became more like self-directed again so i was making doing photography and um painting and then working full-time and kind of like the still sort of creative like direction in my life of like, I always have this urge and need to be creative and it, the medium always changes. So it just keeps evolving. Um, mm -hmm. And then I just got to a point where I was like kind of tired of being broke all the time. So I went to grad school, which is like maybe not the best like answer, but that's the <laughs> way I went. And um, that's when I was taught like um, more technology oriented things. So programming, but with the angle of how do artists approach technology. And um, I really got into like using data in um, as a, a means of expressing my creative side. So I worked on this. Well, I was really in, into Instagram data. And at that time, you could just take all the Instagram data you wanted. And <laughs> I actually think my thesis is one reason why they shut that down. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, so I made this uh, project it started like a year before where I started working on streaming data in real time from the Instagram API. And I made this map that showed whenever someone made uh, posted a photo of a double rainbow and it would go from photo to photo, place to place on the map. And it was uh, making fun of that meme, uh, the double rainbow meme. And it was right. like fun and great. And then I had to do a thesis. So I was like, I already had the program. So I just expanded on that program and use data about um, Instagram sunsets to track the rise and setting of the sun across the map in real time. So every day it would update with the data. And it was all you need to know is at the person's location, what was the actual recorded, you know, sunset or sunrise, because mm -hmm. I did both. And I would the bit the, the size of the dot on the map correlated with like how close to actual sunset were they when they posted the photo. And oh, then, so then you could like track the rise instead of the sun. It like got a lot of press <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. But I feel like after that, shortly after that, Instagram wasn't so into streaming data in real time from their platform <laughs> to developers. Right. They really shut it down. So that was like the heyday. <laughs> um, and then from there, you know, went back into the real world. I worked for a web mapping startup for a few years which made sense because I like a lot of what I was doing in, in um, grad school was around maps and data. And then I decided and wanted to get back to being a visual artist. So I uh, quit my startup job and I've been just doing generative art since. Um, kind of getting back to being more like the visual side of me that was into painting and photography, but from the perspective of like generative art. So patterns, I'm really into patterns. So a lot of it is mm -hmm. just about generating patterns through mathematical waveforms um, and just like still approaching it from an artist's perspective though, like really interested in the play of color and shapes. Um, yeah. And then the next thing I want to do is actually just work on my programming skills more because I, I think I need to write some new programs. I've been sort of like 
leaning on programs I wrote and then I do want to do like make new stuff. <laughs> it's hard to balance like making art and creating, you know, the program to make something new because that program might take a little while to build, you know, whatever idea I would end up having. Yeah. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause you're building like the tools, like kind of like if you're building your workshop or your yeah. outfitting everything. Yeah. With this, yeah. That's kind of interesting way to look at it. Um, so, um, and I back one of the projects you worked on was you were doing uh, mazes, uh, yeah, cities, yeah. And so you did- that that was like an in between project, in between like grad school after I graduated grad school, and then before I started doing general art. So I did this project where I would download like all the street data from cities and then create mazes by hand from the street data. Um, and I sold a lot of those. I actually sold a <laughs> lot of mazes. They might—they're probably still floating out in the world on people's walls. <laughs> um, so that was like another in-between project. Yeah, and like, and then kind of getting back to like the being self-directed versus being part of a community. The nice thing about like the generative art is there's a really big community of people who like to make generative art and who use pen plotters, which are the robotic drawing machine I use to draw my art. And so it's been nice, especially during the pandemic, to just interact with an online community of artists um, and feel, again, like I'm part of community instead of just on my own making art, which is my preference is to be part of a community of like makers and creative people who are really into some niche <laughs> art. Yeah, for sure. Else understands <laughs> why it's so cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty much what this whole podcast is all about, is, to find, uh, is people, you know, discovering that other people are doing, you know, something similar and, you know, using whatever their, you know, curiosity is to, like, uh, you know, express themselves and find other people who feel the same way. So, Yeah. Yeah, that's the nice thing about um, Instagram and maybe just the nice thing about, you know, people who are more into technology is they're going to utilize like online Mm -hmm. platforms to meet and connect um, versus like when I was in college and it was like, you know, you had to physically be at the college to connect with the artists, you know. Yeah. Right. Sure. And probably I don't know, you know, I tried to describe what you do to some people and they kind of got mixed up with like, you know, the recent trend in like AI generated art oh, people yeah. are using prompt prompt generated stuff. Um, can you kind of describe like what, you know, what the basis of your project is? So I use code to like create patterns basically that are based on math um, and waveforms. And I modulate um, different kind of mathematical waveforms or like different just math so I might like take the math for a spiral and then modulate it with waveforms mathematical waveforms like sine cosine square to create like a different version of that spiral and then map shapes to that spiral to create like a pattern that radiates out so that's one of my programs and usually I'll use also you know you the shapes themselves might be generated from a mathematical formula that mimics natural forms found in nature. So I'm really interested in patterns that are like nature. Um, so then a lot of the work ends up being reminiscent of something you might have seen in nature, like leaf shadows or um, plants. 
And then I take those um, outputs from the program and I draw them um, or I print them <laughs> with a right. robotic drawing machine. So I use pens and the, and the machine has like an arm and it comes out and it draws the design. And one benefit is that a lot of these forms are very, um, or the patterns are very precise. So you can get a lot of precision in, you know, creating it with the drawing machine. But you can also like play with color and markers and ink and all those wonderful properties. Or you can use like traditional art forms, like some recent stuff I've seen on the Instagram has been people are plotting and, and doing cyanotypes, which is more a traditional like thing to Printmaking make. Printmaking so, technique, yeah. Yeah. So, and then I often will draw, use like paint markers and draw my designs and paintings I've made. So there's a nice kind of combination of fine art and then the technology that you can combine um, versus like if you just printed the design, it probably wouldn't look as interesting. And then there's also like the buildup of ink where the pen is, is, is tracing over and over and over again, the same place. And that is really lovely and not something you could really replicate uh, with a printer. So there is like um, advantages to using the, the plotter in like the final output feels, you know, more like human made or like and like has more of a te textures and qualities to it that you wouldn't get from just like a digital print. Right. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. The pens are, you know, it's basically, it's replicating what you would do, you know, but just with much more precision, you know, drawing the pattern, um, yeah, exactly. you can certainly get a ruler and try to <laughs> replicate it yourself. Yeah. So It'd take a lot up, longer. <laughs> yeah. It ends up being really great for like math art then it just uh, gives it more of a human quality to it. I think. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, because I took a computer art class back in high school, which is quite a long time ago. Um, <laughs> and, um, and you know, I've been interested in using computers to make art, but I never really got into or figured out how to do programming to make art. So that's why I'm really interested in um, I found your work. And there's, you know, again, there's like you said, there's a huge community of people who are doing this kind of work. So, uh, you know, I've been following a lot of these people on, on Instagram and just trying to, you know, so far I haven't been able to take a lot of time to do that and figure it out, but I do need to do some research and start doing some experiments. Yeah, I think it's, um, all you need is just like a program with an output and then you can get started. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> a lot yep. of like, um, I mean, a lot of what I do is like, I'm not a software engineer or anything. So right. a lot of it is like, I have a basic understanding of programming and then I look online for code examples and explanations of things I need. So if I'm like, I want to draw a line as a sine wave, then someone's probably got a code snippet for me to look at and mm -hmm. put it into my, figure out how to put it into my program and work from it from there. Or they might have the formula that I need to make the shapes that I want to make and then I adapt it to my program. So I think once you have like a understanding, and I think this comes back to the whole, like if you can be self-directed and seek out and find information on your own, then you're like far along on the way to just being able to make anything. Um, and then the community part comes cause you don't want to be sitting by yourself making things, <laughs> not interacting right. with anyone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause I mean, so many people that I talk to on this show and just other people who are makers and artists do, you know, spend a lot of time, you know, 
alone in their workshop, their studio or whatever, just doing their work. And so having that, you know, it ability to, you know, just uh, meet, meet other creative people, uh, you know, you can bounce ideas off each other and just, you know, have that, you know, uh, experience of what it's like. <laughs> yeah. And then just feel like you're part of creating with other people and mm-hmm. then see what they make and then maybe riff on what they make. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah, it's very what, um, like, different from when I was making art before Instagram, like where I would just be by myself <laughs> and I had to go to like shows and like you would like, you know, they would have like art walks and then be part of the art walk. And then that was really awkward because it would just be some random person would come over. It wasn't really like you were meeting artists in that you were just meeting people who might be interested in what you're making for a moment and then they would move along. <laughs> so, of course. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. I haven't done a lot of that kind of thing or any of it really, but. What um what do you what programming language do you use to for your art? Uh, so I use processing, which is Java, and it's still really popular with coders because it's like super easy. And then right. some coders though they use Python, they use JavaScript. There's um, P5, which is like the JavaScript um, kind of equivalent of processing for mm-hmm. artists. So processing was made for artists to make computer art. Right. So there's a lot of like built-in functions. So you don't need to like code in your own sine wave or whatever. Um, and yeah, so there's like tons of languages. It doesn't really matter. Whatever language works for you, you can make sure. kind of art from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I basically self-taught programmer and I did a lot of work in, you know, web uh, application design, backend programming and database stuff. Um, and I, I'm familiar with all the things you mentioned, <laughs> so yeah. I was just curious what you used. Uh, but I never, you know, sat down and tried to figure it out. It was kind of funny because I, you know, am self-taught as a programmer, but and I'm interested in you know generative art and using programming for art, but I haven't decided to teach that to myself. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you could um, start with like just watching YouTube videos with coding train. So with Daniel Schiffman and he was my professor in grad school. <laughs> oh, okay. And he yeah. was my programming advisor and he's great. And I use his code and I still look at his videos. So yeah, <laughs> I do follow him on YouTube, but again, it's just, I got to sit down and make that part of my practice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good one place to start because, you know, he, you could literally just pick any video of his and take his, uh, cause he puts all the code and just take one of his, um, programs and make something from it. I think it would all work. Yeah. Cool. So when you're, when you're developing your different, you know, I don't know what you call them, artworks or, <laughs> uh, programs, do you, um, do you have like a end product in mind when you do it? Do you do a lot of experimentation to, uh, get the results? Um, it's a lot. So with once the like this one program I have that makes like these generative patterns that are based on waveform modulation, a lot of it has been more like wanting to experiment with different shapes or yeah, just see what it would look like if I put a different shape in or a different line in. So then it would be about programming in that shape. And then the recent stuff I've been making, I've been building on a program I wrote where I just wanted to, I mean, the fun thing is to take a program and like create a wildly different output from it that is so different from what it originally did. And then just seeing all you need to do is change a few parameters, you know, the shape and the size and 
the density and you get a totally different output, but it's from the same freaking program. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So and I think that is the trick that people don't realize that you could just keep recycling the program and putting in like a few different tweaks and parameters and getting vastly different um, outputs from it, which is fun. <laughs> But I think you have to sift through a lot of outputs, though. So that is like the tricky part as a human. You've got to be able to pick out what will actually work (laughs) Um, because, you know, the program can generate endless outputs for you. It's like infinite. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's the hard part. Yes. Okay. So it is, um, you know, you basically make some changes and it's at least somewhat unpredictable. Yeah, like recently, the recent stuff I've been making, I just decided I wanted to make really colorful stuff with a lot of shading where I was just going to go nuts with the shading and have it be very dense. That's like a challenge to myself to do that. And um, it's so different from the earlier versions, but it's the same program. I just rewrote it a little to make this work. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But so now it's like very dense patterns and I'm coloring everything in as whereas before it was less dense and it was lines and I didn't color anything in. It's very different. But the pat like the resulting patterns, there's shapes that have formed because I'm playing with color mixing where I'm like putting blue, yellow and red on top of each other and then they create new colors and then the pattern is really different. So in that sense, it's um, more about the fine art side of like layering color, basically, and just starting like taking that um, pattern that comes out of the program and seeing if I layer color, what it would look like. It will look very different. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I'm guessing. I'm like, I think this will look good, but I won't know until I actually load it in my you know software design program to see. Okay. Yeah. And do you, ha- is there a way to uh, test that on the computer before you send it yeah, to the plotter? I like wrote the program so I can split all the shape layers um, and out in like, I use InDesign. I used to use Illustrator, but I don't want to pay for Illustrator forever. So mm-hmm. now I use InDesign. And um, you just like pull out all the different layers of color I want and then um, test out different colors and layering and go from there. Yeah. It's um, but like I'm just guessing too. So I'll just have markers, and I'll just be guessing what color I think it will be based on the markers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so even so, even if after you, it do will all still that. might look different if I didn't right. really guess right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you have to like send it to the plotter and have to it, really find see what out. The ink actually does right. And then because I decided to do this really these really ambitious plots, they take four or five hours, and then. At any point, things could go wrong. <laughs> like right. la- like a couple of days ago, I tried plotting one, and I didn't notice that my plotter was a little off where the pen is, so it wasn't in the center. And I spent two hours drawing one layer, and then I came back to it, and I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, no, it's in the wrong spot. <laughs> it's not in the center. This is awkward. <laughs> so oh, I no. was like, whatever, start over. <laughs> right. I'm always curious about the... Um... The pens, do, do you run out of ink a lot? How, I'm not oh, sure yeah. how that works. Oh, yeah, some of these pens are a nightmare, especially because the shading works better with the markers, but, you know, mm-hmm. you can't tell. <laughs> you know, you can't tell. They're all, they hide how much ink is in here because right. they're 
they're not like transparent. So yeah, it's always no, a guessing yeah. game if there's enough ink left. But then that's part of the joy of it because it can look cool if it, it runs out part of the way through and then it looks more like textural. So I'm trying to embrace the like, oh no, it ran out, whatever. <laughs> right. Go with it. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw like on your blog, you you posted something about that, about just, you know, embracing the mistakes or the... Yeah, like sometimes it's fun when you get like an old pen too and it'll skip and it'll be, it'll be, it'll just be this natural kind of missing segments and it's fun cool. um, you can't really like purposely do that it's just the pen has to be dead or dying and then it does that and you're like cool <laughs> i'm gonna go right. with it yeah yeah i know you have to i guess you have to track like i don't know if there's a way to do that you have to have your computer be able to keep track of like how many inches of <laughs> yeah <laughs> drawing exactly. each pen is done and then yeah track and be like these are getting old i'm gonna save these for experiment or something yeah yeah yeah, like sometimes I'll buy like pens and forget about them, come back to them later, and then I'll be like, oh, that's, that's interesting. It's kind of half dead, but I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't like replicate. can't like sell that because I wouldn't be able to make it again. <laughs> right. Well, these are like one of a kind pieces. They're uh, even more yeah. rare. Yep. <laughs> well, I like to keep them for myself. <laughs> sure. That's <laughs> fine. They're messed up. <laughs> They're especially yeah. fun to keep. Yeah. Right. So you do um, make multiples of your prints um i'll make one and then sometimes i sell them i was selling them more a year or two ago and i took a break like recently um i just didn't like it's it's always like a struggle i want to make art for myself and then if there's pressure to create then i feel like i have to make my designs more like appealable to a larger audience to make sales and it has to be like faster to make it. So I'm not spending five hours printing something. <laughs> True. So it's just not, uh, you know, it doesn't really appeal to the artist in me sometimes. I'm just like, I want to spend five hours making something. I'm not going to sell. I'm just going to put it in a box for myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I like feel torn about selling the work. and But there's other ways to make money as an artist. Like um, I, right now I make more like affiliate income and then I, actually did pretty good selling shirts and other stuff in a gift store. So I think I might go back to that. Um, it just like takes the pressure off of me. Sometimes I feel like I don't really want to make art like endlessly. <laughs> like it just would be so hard to make a lot of money just selling art prints. Um, sure. and, and then on top of that, trying to make new art. So it's like mm -hmm. hard. Yeah. Right. Oh, just I was curious about that because I'm interested in printmaking. I do like, you know, screen printing or block printing kind of stuff. It was definitely easy when I screen printed mazes, maze, my maze maps, because you could just like make 50 at once in one go. But with the plotter, it's like definitely one to two hours commitment to make just one pen plot for someone. That's true. Yeah, because it's more of a, yeah, it's like, a, you know, any other kind of computer process like doing cnc carving or a 3d printer or something it's just you have to wait for the robot to do all the to be work. done <laughs> i don't plan on buying 20 axi draws to make right <laughs> 20 plots at the same time that'd be nuts <laughs> sure. when you were selling the t-shirts and stuff was that uh some of your designs that were printed on t-shirts yeah that, that was fun because the designs are so detailed um that the screen printers who did them said they it took them a little while to get it right <laughs> to oh, get cool. all the detail coming through 
but I want to make shirts again because that was nice. And mm-hmm. they sold really well at this like gift store in the Bay Area. So it's just, I think as an artist, you can't just rely, I'm only going to sell prints. You have to have multiple sources of income in the end from multiple places so they can keep making art. <laughs> That's true. So you'd be yeah. a little more passive, you know, like I'm gathering income from all these different sources and then I'm making my art. <laughs> so you have to like yeah. build it up. It's like, all about marketing you have to have a blog you have to be driving traffic to these places then to get the income so it's a lot of marketing if you want to make it as an artist on in the online world rather than going to a gallery or being represented which i know nothing about yeah right yeah me neither um i don't know anything about selling stuff either so that's uh, (laughs) a yeah more just about making things and you know maybe trying to figure out if you can sell them you know sometime in the future i'm trying to think i only know a couple of people who i've talked to on the this show who actually you know make things to sell and they usually do yeah uh, i feel i go back and forth about it all the time because i feel like it kind of shapes what i make which i don't i resent <laughs> sometimes sure. i resent that sometimes I'm like i just want to make something for myself that i don't sell you don't y'all don't get it <laughs> mine <Right. laughs> Yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah. And then, yeah, obviously you have to figure out like what is going to be your income. You know, you have a regular job or you're doing, yeah, some other, you know, part of your uh, practice, you know, makes money while you get to still experiment and be, yes, you know, just creative without any expectation of, uh, you know, what it's going to turn into. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that artists try to approach making money and making work. But I think at the end of the day, you still don't get to make as much art as you ever want if you're trying to make money from it, too. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's very few people who get to do that, um, you know, and it's there's no one knows. Like, there's either a secret society of people who where they handpick the people they want to be successful or it's just totally random. Who knows? And then everyone else is just on a hamster wheel Trying yep. to keep up. <laughs> yeah, that's that's usually who I talk to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's cool. One of the things that um you I saw on your website was you um you donate uh some of your work to different uh Yeah. So I have the most recent thing I've been doing is I've been working with this nonprofit in Chicago called um I Paint My Mind. And they do this thing where they bring rotating art galleries of people of like artists work into schools so the students can see works of local artists, but they also do artists who aren't in Chicago. So that was, that was me. (laughs) Right. And right when they reached out to me right before the pandemic. And so I thought, Oh, I'm going to go to Chicago and see them put my work up in a school and talk to the students, do a demo. It'll be so fun. And then that ever worked out. But I still work with them. So they have my work and they put it up. And um, I'm sure at some point I'll get out there, hopefully, (laughs) and do more collabs with them. I'd love to do more stuff like that. Um, Just because, like, when I was growing up, you know, I don't remember. Actually, one of my favorite memories from school growing up was they took us to the symphony. I was like, wow, mind blown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can't like, you know, I just, I think it'd be cool to have experiences like that as a kid where you just like didn't know something existed and then you're like, whoa. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's really important that, you know, young people do see that they are just like 
you know, regular people who are making art or, you know, building things, doing all these different jobs, because you don't, you know, you don't get that experience in school usually to see that there are people who are, you know, working artists and, or, you know, just different types of creators. Yeah. It was like the very rare field trip they would take us on at my elementary where we got to, like, we went to like a horse ranch, I think that one of them, and then the symphony was one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. And then you should, that's what I'm saying. They, you know, we want to see uh, people who are building a house, someone who, you know, plays piano, someone who's a welder or whatever, just mm-hmm. all these, you know, just understand that, you know, all these things are just done by regular people and you can uh, choose any one of these paths, you know? Yeah. All... And then, cause I think in school, you know, you're taught, Oh, the, these are the five career paths. <laughs> we right. do leave school. And there's no discussion of the, all the other multitudes of things you could be doing with your life. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you probably make more money if you're an electrician. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you're just thinking about money, that's probably the better way to go than uh, some of these other things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Also, you know, a lot of people do find, uh, you know, doing those types of things, working with your hands and just solving problems uh, to be, uh, you know, an interesting uh, career. Yeah. But they don't really tell you about that in school. <laughs> you get maybe little hints of it here and there. You yep. know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely, you know, I think that, and of course, that's, I think, one of the big things about, you know, Instagram, YouTube, just this seeing, you know, seeing the people who are actually making stuff and being able to. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I probably don't even know what it's like to grow up right now because they have YouTube and social media. They probably think there's more than five options now. Right. (laughs) Well, no, there's like three options. You can be a YouTuber. You You can be a a social media influencer or a YouTuber. Yeah, you can be like a yoga model on you on social media. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, but obviously, the, yeah, there's a lot of people who you know I think do you know find that they can you know there are creative careers and they're trying to find a way to do that. There's a lot of people I talk to who you know quit their job and now they you know to do something else. So yeah, I mean, I was always at the library, but now you can just go on YouTube. <laughs> Right. And learn so much of this stuff and like see other people doing the thing you want to do. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Cause one of, uh, uh, one of the other artists I talked to, actually probably a couple of different people I've talked to that, you know, are also interested in, you know, just giving away some of their stuff, making sure that, you know, you know, people can see, you know, their art and, you know, that it's make it available to, you know, everybody, not just, uh, people who are buying it. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I wish there was more opportunities to do that. Obviously, I mean, it take, takes a while for me to make 30 prints to sell it yeah. to a school, but it, it's worth it knowing that some, like, you know, kids are seeing this from in Chicago, yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of it just being in a box in my studio. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, talking talk about the, you know, schools in Chicago, have you done any sort of either teaching of, you know, either informal or... Yeah, just like one workshop I did in San Francisco at the Gray Area Center for the Arts, um, where I actually, it was like before I was plotting, but I linked up with someone who had like a CNC machine they used as a plotter. And we, I helped the students get map data and then they drew the map data with the plotter and it was a lot of fun. And then I was like, well, maybe I should get a plotter because I kept saying I wanted one and I was like, why don't I just buy myself one? 
<laughs> just try it. <laughs> I don't know why I danced around the issue of getting one for so long. I think I just didn't wasn't ready to commit to it. I think that's sure. like the tricky thing with me is that I can get like kind of obsessed with something and then go down a rabbit hole. And then part of me is like, oh, do I want to <laughs> start that obsession, go down that rabbit hole, just think about that for years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe I'll wait till I feel ready. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's a lot of different, you know, people who end up in some kind of creative space that they're, they don't, you know, want to just do the one thing forever. They're, curious about a lot of different things and they want to try them all yeah i feel i still feel that way where i'm like i wonder at some point i'm going to quit my plotter because it will probably happen (laughs) Mm -hmm. knowing me i'll be like i'm ready to do some new creative thing yeah yeah we'll see this is probably the longest i've stuck with a creative medium (laughs) every few years i usually i'm like okay on to the next thing (laughs) yeah Yeah. there's still a lot to explore though i think uh yeah i think the community part is keeping me in and and then the programming i mean there's just like i'm probably like more beginner to intermediate programmer and i could be making more complicated things if i spent some time working more on my programming skills so i think that keeps me more interested like it could just be endless <laughs> endless right. learning and making yeah and yeah, then you just... sharing it with people who are really into it online mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's definitely more to explore yeah you haven't uh yeah i feel tried like I've everything touched, yet yeah barely touched the iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. What's uh what size uh prints can you do with your plotter? How big is it? Um I think the biggest is it's like A3, like eleven by seventeen or something. And then they have bigger plotters now, though mine's right. not a big one anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I was yeah, curious. Like, like massively bigger ones. Want to explore getting like a giant one or I yeah. know. I'm like, should I get a giant one? <laughs> <laughs> I have like a small one that someone gifted me and then it's kind of sad because I never used it, but I really should like put it on my desk and, and use it. Um, I'm might use it to like do workshops in the future with that nonprofit in Chicago. So later this year they wanted, they were talking to me about maybe doing some workshops. Yeah. That'd be fun. Um, I also found the, there's a pen plot art Instagram account. Oh yeah. That's me. (laughs) Yep. No, I know. That's yep. what, it's like you're yeah, kind of yeah. like a community-based account. Yeah, um, so I share people's work on um, an Instagram account that actually has more followers than mine now, <laughs> which is great. And um, yeah, I try to keep up on it. Sometimes I'm not so good about it, but it is a way to like get the work out there. And then it's always, I don't look at the comments that much, but sometimes when I do, they're funny if like some post got like blew up for whatever reason because it's always so random with instagram <laughs> sure. um there'll be usually will people will start coming in saying this is not art this is not art <laughs> oh really yeah it's really <laughs> it always just happens there has there's always like 10 people shouting about how it's not art <laughs> oh. well that's that's a really long complicated conversation <laughs> yeah which we don't need to get into but so that's like the funny thing about this art form is there's a lot of people who are very vocal about it. it's not <laughs> they need to tell everyone <laughs> yeah you could probably throw some randomness in there so it's you know looks more like jackson pollock than they'll uh well, a lot of times they'll be like, oh, this is cool. And then when they realize it was drawn by a robot, they're like, okay, this is not art. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I guess you they have to They feel like look cheated at... or something. I thought that a human made this. And then like, a human didn't make it? How dare you <laughs> trick me? <laughs> no, yeah. I know, but 
artists have been using whatever tools are available for, I always tell people, yeah, they've been using whatever they've had for as long as, you know, as long as we've yeah, been making Yeah, it's like no things, different you know? than using a camera or, you know, paintbrush. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and if they went to their house and looked at whatever art they had, probably almost all of it was made by some kind of computer or machine. Yeah, and then a lot of the big artists don't even make their work anymore. They hire 20 people to make it for them. Right, yeah. So let's, you only have one robot. You don't have a Yeah, army a lot of, of people uh, have 20 people making assistants. their art yeah. for them. Yep. <laughs> and then they just signed it. Right. So, yeah, so you're, you're doing more of the work than the person who just sits there and has the idea. Yeah. And then and hires someone else to make it. 20 people to make it for them. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, so there's there's all different. And, again, it's all, it's all art. It's just, you know, you have to – how you look at it. Obviously, if I could get to the point where 20 people just made it for me or 20 robots, that'd be great. <laughs> Why oh, not? sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, and I talk to a lot of people about this. My idea of art is that it's more about a attitude or a way that you interact with and experience the world. And you take that and then you turn that into, you know, whatever work you make. Yeah, I think my attitude's always been like um, simplicity and working with what I am capable of doing that doesn't require like having to learn a bunch of math or code. And I have a lot of fun with just being like, it's the same program, everyone. I just changed a few parameters. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and like, if you have that visual training, <laughs> you know. Right. It'll, it'll happen with a really simple program too. So it's yeah. like a lot of people message me and they think they need to have like some really crazy program, but don't really, if you no, right. have the fine art background. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the program is just, it's repeating patterns. Yeah. So if you know how to take those shapes and do something else with them, with the, with the, you know, pens and ink and paper and all that, then there's your art. You don't need a super crazy program then. Yeah. But how many, um, how many of your experiments or you know changes to the program turn into art? Like what percentage? Oh, uh, actually, a lot of them are successful. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, um, there's only been a few times where I haven't succeeded with the shape, and I've been like, I'll get back to this. I'll make it work one day. <laughs> All right. So yeah, one in shape I was really excited about uh, didn't really work with one iteration of the program, and then I put it in my new program, and I was like, well, it works now. There you go. <laughs> finally, finally circled back and made it work. <laughs> I knew it one day. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing that you talked about on your on your website and stuff is that uh, you enjoy the outdoors, rock climbing, other types of you know outdoor activities. Does any of that influence uh, what you do in your you know your artistic practice? Or you know, I imagine it all um, influences because. Um, as a kid, my parents were insane about nature and hiking. So every weekend they took us on like really nut nutso hikes. <laughs> but in retrospect, I'm like, what were you guys thinking? <laughs> but um, so I was outdoors a lot. And when I was a kid outdoors hiking with them, I'd be like, oh, my, oh man, can I, I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> as a kid, you're really bored. I was really bored with it. But now as an adult, I'm like, I have all these memories of nature and I'm like, this is definitely influencing what I make as an artist. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I was just outside a lot too as a kid because this was like early 90s when we weren't so concerned about 
people kidnapping <laughs> kids off the street. So I think there was like more free form attitude of you went outside, you, you were hanging out with the neighborhood kids and you were biking everywhere. And the part I lived in Arizona and Tucson, I grew up in Tucson before I moved to California. And um, just, we were like, I guess they call it the urban wild, inter, you know, wildland interface now. So our neighborhood was right next to where the desert started. So just go out in the desert. And like back then, people didn't have fences. You went in people's yards and ran around. <laughs> so it was just like a bit different. So I was outside a lot. And um, I think it influenced, you know, like I loved like the desert, like, you know, when puddles would dry in the desert, the sand would crack in a particular way. And I loved that. And then later on learned like, you know, that's, there's like mathematical formulas to make those patterns and they're, you know, all that. So it's just outside enough to see this, these like nature patterns over and over again. And then I think it's just like what I gravitate to now as an artist is to make something that reminds me of being outside. <laughs> oh, great. I, I guess I, I was a good, uh, instinct I had to make that connection. <laughs> I don't, yeah, like I like looked up on street view because I don't go back to Arizona and <clears throat> like my neighborhood and now there's like fences everywhere. <laughs> and oh, this no. is, I know there's a lot more homes and you just can't walk in through people's yards anymore anymore, I think, but there's still like dirt roads. So this is like still a kind of rural area of Tucson. Yeah. And it's still right next to like, uh, like Saguaro National Park. So like, yeah, you, we were right next to where wild, the wild land started. <laughs> and then Arizona is so interesting because um, we've got the monsoons in the summer and there will just be nothing and dry. And then suddenly this dry creek will just be rushing and oh, and there's so much like interesting flora and fauna with all like the, the different cactus forms and like the lizards and so cool in comparison to California. Oh, that's <laughs> and the interesting. colors and then all the cities they build all the um, uh, buildings and the colors to all look very blended into the desert. It was so cool. It was such a shock moving when I was like ten. California and I just felt like ah uh, forests are like claustrophobic I need like wide open <laughs> spaces <laughs> forests were creepy to me for like a solid 10 years <laughs> that's interesting yeah yeah now I don't think forests are creepy but when I first moved to California I was like I don't get it <laughs> right sure you learn to appreciate that that's interesting yeah. I just was in I had a flight of California and we connected in uh Phoenix so I was able to look out the window of the airport <laughs> and saw like the mountains in the background there. It was pretty cool. Yeah. The and desert's just... interesting. Cause like it, if you're just driving, it looks sort of desolate and barren, but then if you actually are in the desert walking, there's so much variation. It's yeah. The colors and textures. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I just, we just flew, you know, flew over and I did look out the window just to check out, uh, you know, what I could see of Arizona. And, uh, and we spent a bunch of time in the desert in California, so yeah. uh, near Mojave and stuff. So it's very interesting and, you know, something I haven't experienced before. So yeah, I'm I mean, curious about it. One thing I really miss about the Southwest is like the colors because, you know, the rocks will have, be red or orange and there's canyons and all the geology and rock formations. You don't get that like in Northern California. There's no like mesas. 
and plateaus. <laughs> yeah, and like the wide open expanse where you could see like the horizon in all directions and big sky country. Yeah, and clouds. <laughs> so different. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah, I live in upstate New York, so it's probably yeah. you know much more similar to Northern California than uh, yeah, probably than the desert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely a lot of trees and yeah, green around here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate all those different landscapes, you know, even just the ones that, you know, have seen from airplane, but (laughs) I've been driven through some uh, canyons in uh, Utah. So I've got. Yeah. Utah is also so wonderful, like Bryce and Zion and uh, so amazing. And the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't been there yet, but I definitely have to, you know, figure out a way to get there. Yeah. You you definitely have to. I camped down at the bottom when I was a kid because, again, my parents were nuts. And <laughs> <laughs> so, but that that's like an unforgettable experience for me, like unforgettable memory of being at the bottom with the like Colorado River and there's no one around. And I think it was like a lot less popular then because this was early 90s. Yeah. So I just don't remember there being people around when we went. Yeah. And then the bottom of the canyon environment would be so different from the top when you came back up. Like it would be snowing at the top, but at the bottom it wasn't snowing. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. I have to figure out a way to to definitely do that. I do have I do have a kind of crazy goal to go to, you know, as many national parks as I can. So most of them are out that way. So <laughs> Yeah, I did like a road trip where I did a bunch of them. Brian, Bryce, Bryce, Bryce was my favorite. I love Bryce. Oh, so I would love to go back there. And then Zion. Well, Zion's very touristy, so I didn't like Zion as much. But I, I liked. Um, I think it was Arches National Park was great, and Moab. You gotta go to Moab. <laughs> okay. All these like. Um, I also I went to Yellowstone and Jackson Hole was great. You have to stay in Jackson Hole if you go to Yellowstone. I will yeah. put that on the list. I wrote it down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because these little, like, small little, like, tourist towns that are kind of more creative that pop up near these national parks where, like, artists live. And they're just more fun to be to be at. Yeah. And then New Mexico, Talos would be another place to go. And there's the Rio Grande National Monument. is amazing. But I just love canyons. And I think that's just because I and, – and water. Water going through canyons <laughs> is my thing. <laughs> So. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue that it's, you know, all these different things, you know, you can find something interesting and some kind of value in, in all of it, you know. Yeah, so New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, great places to go. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's yeah. great because that's one of my, I have a list of random questions. Um, okay. And that's one of them was like travel, travel or outdoors uh, locations to visit. And we covered all those. <laughs> yeah, those are my top four states. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I don't want to keep you all day. So Okay. <laughs> uh, where, can, uh, where can people uh, find out about your work and see what you're working on? Well, I'm not as consistently on Instagram, but the main place to see new work is Instagram. So that would be my Instagram handle, which is Dirt Alley Design. Because when I started my art account, I lived on a just off a dirt alley in San Francisco, like literally on the map, it said it was called dirt alley. So I just named my business that. And that's been funny because people are always like, what, what is the name of your business? <laughs> or they misspell it and call it dirty. alley." Design. Oh no. 
<laughs> Which is always funny, too. <laughs> I'll be careful to spell it correctly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the main place. And then I have a website. It's like dirtallydesign.com. And then the community Instagram account is penplotart. And that one's a lot bigger. And then you can see work by all sorts of artists who are using robotic drawing machines. And then um, this year, I'm going to host Plot Party again, which is a week-long pen plotting art challenge where anyone can join in and the work is shared on Instagram. And um, it's like a way to promote your work as an artist. Since it's so hard to gain traction on the Instagram algorithm, we all have to band together and help each other out (laughs) as artists. And also it's just so much fun seeing like everyone making like something from the same prompt. It's tons of fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To see like the creativity that was, uh, I forgot and, I was going to ask you about the plot party. So I'm glad. Uh, you yeah. And it. it's like more a celebration too. You get to like celebrate each other and then it feels like you're not just sitting at home by yourself making, you're right. sitting at home with other people <laughs> also sitting at home making art. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that reminds me, uh, my friends, uh, Luke and Priscilla Smith, they run an account called And They Make, and yeah. they do a month-long type of celebration there called May for Makers. And uh, it's the same kind of th- thing where basically they're building community and, you know, they have different prompts so people can, you know, introduce uh, people to their work and it's a lot of fun. So uh, I'll, I'll send you a link to that if you're interested. Okay. Yeah. Check out what they're doing. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's It's a month, so. But there's no, you know, there's no pressure or requirement that anyone has to do anything, you know, yeah, every keep, day or anything. I keep plot party to one week because it's very intense for people to even just make like five plots in a row. Right. Day after right. day. Yeah. To run the machine. Yeah. Made for Makers is more about just, you know, talking about what you do and, you know, sharing it with other people. So it's just an Instagram post. You don't have to actually create a Piece unique of work, work of art, art for every yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's easier. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I know there's another one uh, uh, in, in January. It's generative art. Oh, yeah, January. yeah. That's another like 30-day one, though. So I've never done it. I think it's a little harder for beginner coders, coders to get into because a, a different lot. code prompt every day. Every day, if yeah. If you're not like software engineer, is going to be kind of tough and discouraging. Versus right, my, I, my plot, you, my my plot party. You don't have to be a coder. I mean, you can design something in Illustrator and plot it with a robotic drawing machine. It's like no requirement for it to come. Your design to come from code. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you just draw it, and then you just send the picture to the machine. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, I looked at the the January stuff and tried to you know start. I was like, oh, I'll use this to teach myself generative uh art coding and uh it was just very overwhelming to get started but uh, i think it's great you could do you know just if you looked at other people's stuff and kind of got some inspiration you don't and don't try to do it all in january but just take one (laughs) i could like randomly do ones here and there because some of the themes just i naturally already use like they did do like a sine wave theme and i'll be like oh so much of my work sine wave i could do just that one (laughs) yeah but yeah, definitely more for inspiration than necessarily, you know, a challenge to try to complete. Yeah, I think anyone who completes that is badass. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. All right. I uh, just want to take a couple minutes here, uh, finish up some business with, <laughs> with the podcast. Uh, thank uh, everyone on Patreon who supports the show. Uh, you can support the show at patreon.com slash making problems to solve. And I want to thank 
um, Matt from Artisan Serio, Ed Johns, and my new top patron, uh, Brian Callahan. Uh, thanks a lot to everybody who uh, supports the show. If you can support on Patreon, you can review the show or share it with a friend. Uh, you can check out the podcast, uh, get updates on Instagram at Making Problems to Solve. And you can see what I'm working on at Dave Bauer Art. Uh, thanks a lot for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.